We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Touchdown. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland and as always I am joined by the one the only Sean Siegel but Sean on today's show we are very very delighted to be joined by a, a Rotoviz OG and certainly a Rotoviz Radio OG that is Matthew Freeman who you can follow on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle he is director of content over at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros and we are going to be talking a little bit about the rookies and a little bit about how it affects other teams and I guess we're throwing in the uh, first round trades as well with the likes of AJ Brown entering the discussion on today's show but matt welcome back on to the uh rotoviz radio airwaves thanks that's uh it's good to be back good to uh good to see your faces uh you know depending on how people uh you know interact with the show uh sometimes they don't you know see the faces uh you know uh just hear your voices but uh, it's good to actually see you guys uh not necessarily in person but you know face to face yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the faces and some people listening just through the audio. I did get a quote on uh, YouTube this week that my voice sounded like that of a 70-year-old man. They thought I would look much older. So I don't know how to take how to take that one, but we uh, we roll with it. That's one of the disadvantages of people, I guess, seeing the faces. But we are going to talk some over and unders for the wide receivers, as I mentioned, in the first round and, and the trades that are implemented. And I guess the biggest move of the first round is that trade off AJ Brown to Philadelphia. You've done some work over at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros looking at the over-under lines for some of the wide receivers in 2022. And AJ Brown is sitting at just under 910 yards at 909.5 yards as his over-under for receiving yards for the year. Firstly, do you think his situation is now better in Philadelphia or do you think it was better previously in Tennessee? And then how do you see his outlook going for the 2022 season uh, in terms of that overall line? Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what Sean has to say about A.J. Brown's situation. I think it's better. Um, You know, the Tennessee Titans really want to be a run-heavy team. And even though the Eagles last year ended up ultimately being more of a run heavy team they started out the season with more of a pass focus and I think ultimately that's really what they want to do but in the middle of the season I think they they pivoted and realized with the personnel that they had maybe they 
were best served running the ball. But, you know, with the trade to uh, the trade for AJ Brown, I think it really signals that they want to be more of a, a pass focused team. AJ Brown, I think he never had more than maybe like 106 targets or something like that in, in any season that he's had to this point in his career, which just it's mind blowing to think how productive he has been and how underutilized he has been to this point. I I really cannot see a world in which he has only 106 targets. I, I mean, it feels like 120 to 140 is much more of a realistic projection for opportunity this year. Uh, and and given that, uh, you know, I think 1,100 yards feels like a pretty reasonable projection. And so the number uh, that you saw in the market earlier with, with DraftKings, I mean, that just feels egregiously low. You mentioned that they want to be more pass heavy. One of the teams that obviously flipped last year, and it was a very kind of unique situation, but it seems like the Eagles might do it a little bit more of their own free will. They've also been a team that is connected in some ways to analytics. And obviously the best path to winning would be to throw successfully in the first half of games if you have the p- people to do it, like you mentioned, I mean, if you don't, you've got to try and figure out a way to shorten the game, you know, still get first downs, all that kind of thing hurts with the big arm. And I mean, is that a fit for Brown? And like you said, that it seems like the targets, the yards will rise that at the very least, the ceiling is a lot better in Philadelphia. Is that, is that how you're looking at it? Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and the ceiling, I guess I'll just say sort of blanket statement. I've basically given up trying to evaluate quarterbacks in general and then quarterback wide receiver fits in particular. Like they're, they're far smarter people than, uh, than me to like sort of analyze how a wide receiver fits within a system and then you know how that is going to dovetail with a quarterback's strengths. So for me, it is pretty much just the target projection. But, you know, that that said, that ca- that caveat put out there, yeah, like I think he will work well with Jalen Hurts, but I think A.J. Brown is the, I don't know, the, the type of like alpha omega wide receiver who will work well with almost any quarterback just because of how talented he is. Uh, and so for me, it really is just the target projection. I think he's going to get many more targets in Philadelphia than he had last year in Tennessee. And it would seem like there's a much wider range in terms of Philadelphia and how they could play it. Whereas the Titans, you know, very much like you said, they've established what they want to do. It would take something crazy to change that. And even last year when Derrick Henry gets hurt, I mean, they're pretty run heavy. So this seems like it frees him up in some ways. What does it do to Devonte Smith and Dallas Goddard? It seems like Goddard, even though he's the tight end, maybe is hurt the most. Uh, Connor O'Driscoll and I were on the clock earlier today looking at Smith at the beginning of round seven in a slow underdog draft that we were doing. And while you could certainly see him underperforming that, you get this year two receiver who's at a discount because of the offense and because of the competition. Are you playing that as another upside play within the same offense or does Brown really take the air out of these other two guys? Yeah, uh, you know, I think the expected second year bump of Devonte Smith is going to be less bumpalicious than we would have wanted. Um, you know, 104 targets is what he had last year. I think that is a pretty reasonable projection for what he gets this year. 
you know, barring some sort of AJ Brown injury or, or something like that. Um, and so 916 yards, that's what he had last year. I think that's like a reasonable range, you know, given like, you know, plus a hundred minus a hundred within that range, I think is what we should expect. But, but the thing is, and, and Sean, I think you're sort of the master of looking at ranges of outcomes. Uh, I think Smith has a pretty wide range of outcomes. And so like the median projection I'd say is around a hundred, but you know, there is this opportunity for him just having a, a second season that blows expectations away and where like he actually is a co number one wide receiver along with AJ Brown. Um, like that is, I do believe within the range of outcomes. And if you're looking in the seventh round, I do think that is where you start focusing much more on a guy's ceiling than on his median. Uh, and so, yeah, I can see the upside case for Devonte Smith and why you would be interested in drafting him, especially now that people might be a little bit lower on him because of AJ Brown's presence in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think sometimes when like it happens in offenses where you get a star wide receiver, but you also have the secondary piece, I think the star coming in can kind of help all receiving options there, take away the coverage a little bit away from Smith. But the problem for this offense was the pass volume last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they develop that in 2022. But with that being said, do you think the big winner of the draft, I guess, for the Philadelphia Eagles was Jalen Hurts? Oh yeah. I mean, this is, this is perfect. And there's like the best friend narrative that, that gets, you know, shoehorned into this, but uh, yeah, Jalen hurts. He has every opportunity for success. I mean, the only thing that he doesn't have is maybe a better pass catching uh, running back, but it's not as if like Kenny Gainwell is a bad pass catching running back or Boston Scott. So uh, he's, he's got all of the weapons there, I guess. Also, maybe we could have done with a better number three receiver than Jalen Rager, maybe, but, uh, in theory, he has, he has all the opportunity there. And, uh, I think people are coming around to it now that AJ Brown, uh, is there. Uh, so I don't think he offers quite the discount that he did before the draft, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's still ample reason to be very bullish on Jalen Hurts at his ADP. How high does it push him for you? Does that get him up into, I mean, I think you can make a legitimate argument for him now after the sort of the big six are gone. I mean, does he compete with them at all? Is he in that next tier? I mean, obviously you're not going to, you're going to pay just, I mean, if you really are on him, you would pay just above his ADP. You wouldn't pay those prices, but, but where do you see him? So right now, and you can get, uh, I mean, professional plug incoming, you can get my rankings at fantasy pros, you know, for free. But, uh, if you, if you look at the rankings there, you'll see, and I'm, you know, pretty chalky in how I'm doing this. I've got Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murphy, uh, Kyler Murray. And then I will say, this is one area where I'm, uh, going against the grain a little bit. I have Deshaun Watson, number six, um, and this is just my uh, maybe, I don't know, pig-headed uh, opportunistic endeavor here, uh, ranking him that high. You don't have to draft him at number six to get him, but you know I'm kind of skeptical that he will actually end up having a lengthy suspension. Uh, but I have Burrow, number seven, and then Jalen Hurts, number eight. And honestly, I'm tempted to put Hurts above Burrow 
I, I, I might do that when we're done with this podcast, you know, but I I'm with you that I think you can make the case for Hertz, uh, really to be in that, that top tier group. Um, he, he certainly has the upside of that group and really because of his rushing ability, I think he has a comparable floor to that of a lot of the guys in that group. I just don't think that he has, um, I don't want to say like the job security. It's just like, he doesn't have the record of production, like multi-year record of production that those other guys have. And so the projection is a little less certain with him, but based on what we've seen so far, yeah, I mean, I think he belongs in that group with the top tier guys. There's quite a bit of projection, obviously, to go on with what we think will happen in Philadelphia, but the other teams we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of projection to happen with those as well. And one of those being Drake London and the Atlanta Falcons has overset this season at 739.5. But lots of change. Obviously, Matt Ryan no longer with the Falcons. We now have Marcus Mariota there. We have Kyle Pitts in his second year in this offense. What are your predictions or your projections for London as a rookie? And you know how does he fit into that Atlanta Falcons offense? Also, minus Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I mean the fact that Calvin Ridley isn't there, that is uh that's the big factor. So the the projection and it's, you know, pretty pretty easy to make and and filled with a lot of upside is that, you know, Drake London steps in and right away he's he's the number 1. Uh now you, you mentioned Kyle Pitts, obviously he has to compete with Kyle Pitts, but uh, I do think London is going to have more targets. I think 120 targets is a pretty reasonable projection. Uh, given the skill that he showed in college and, you know, all of the things that kind of goes along with his projection as a prospect. So the high draft capital, uh, you know, the, the domination that he showed last year, the fact that he's an early recruit, uh, all of that. Uh, I mean, I think he smashes this number of 739. Uh, and I'll just say, you know, like the number, the number has moved up. And unders for season-long player props, unders tend to be the sharp side. But the time when the books tend to get it wrong when it comes to the overs is when it comes to rookies or when it comes to players in, in new situations. And so I just I view this line as being totally egregious. Uh, I don't want to be... I don't want to be over-indexed on Drake London, but I think he's a low-end wide receiver too at this point in how you would draft him and, and redraft. And uh, I mean, I think there's significant opportunity for upside. I think the, the real question, uh, it, both redraft and uh, in dynasty rookie drafts, Drake London wide receiver one or Traylon Burks wide receiver one like that. I think that's a pretty big question. I have London just ahead of Traylon Burks, but like I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong and that Burks should be number one, but I feel pretty confident it's those two at the top. And uh, Sean has snuck Marcus Mariota into a couple of conversations this uh, this last month or two. Um, are, have you any concerns with uh, Mariota as the quarterback there in Atlanta? Uh, no, not really. Uh, and maybe it's just cause you know, I, I value targets above everything else. And, uh, and maybe also part of it is cause I'm like, Ooh, Marcus Mariota, like that's kind of interesting. We'll, yeah. we'll see what can happen. Like one of the funny things about, uh, 
<laughs> I think, you know, fantasy douche kind of mentioned this years ago, back in the day. But, you know, one of the things is that if you sort of have the, the same takes over and over, eventually you're going to be right when, when that guy hits. And, you know, maybe it's sort of a little bit like that with Marcus Mariota. Like, he's probably not going to turn into a league winner, but you never know. Uh, and so, all as it took for Cardrell Patterson to head boost to go to Atlanta. So maybe he follows that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you get all the road of his darlings in one place and maybe <laughs> magic happens. Uh, so, I, I, but whether it's Marcus Mariota, you know, for most of the season and then Desmond Ritter for the end of the season, however it is that it shakes out. I'm not too worried about the the quality of the targets. I don't think they're going to be great targets, but I, I think the sheer volume coming the direction of Drake London will be enough to give him, I think, low-end wide receiver two likelihood. What about Kyle Pitts, right? When we're looking at the possibilities for London to miss, I you mentioned that that line is egregious, and it does seem that way. And so you, you're kind of thinking through what – is the thesis behind that like is it because there's a little bit of one-year wonderishness to london's profile especially with the injury that keeps him from having the full year i mean there are some scouts that aren't as high on him because he doesn't actually look open on a lot of these targets that he got last year and was successful with mariota i mean you mentioned targets but there is the question about the quarterback play and then there's the question of Kyle Pitts. And if he takes the step in year two, I mean, these guys theoretically play a different position, but there are a lot of similarities in terms of what ideally or theoretically they do well. Is it a chance where Pitts is a year ahead and just has such a monster season that there's not enough left? Where are people looking at Pitts and like, how did you get to that line in the first place? I mean, how is there any concern that you have outside of injury? I mean, you mentioned that one, one of the ways the under can hit is just people get hurt. But outside of injury, I mean, do you have any concerns there? It, I think the concern would be not so much uh, with any dominance from pits. Um, I, I think we could still see a, a good second-year bump from pits and still have the opportunity for Drake London to, to hit, given that there's no Calvin Ridley uh, and that after – London and Pitts, there's just a total dearth of receiving talent, unless you're counting Corderell Patterson as a, a receiver. But, you know, and he like he will be, I think, used as a very respectable third down, you're like kind of receiving back. But even then, uh, the injury possibility for London is the main thing that would make the under hit. Um, but Kyle Pitts, I, I think he has a strong season. You know, like I think he goes over a thousand yards. Um, I but I think it's just those two guys, really. I think it's Pitts and London, and that's very much it. And I'll just say kind of like a word on how these lines are set. Um, part of me is just like, who the hell knows? But the the real answer is like they just kind of it's not that they pull a number out like of of the air. But like it is very much like a slipshod process where people who are obsessed with fantasy and obsessed with doing projections, they can routinely beat the lines that especially the opening lines that are set. And so I would say like that is part of the like the value proposition of subscribing to a, a place like Rotoviz, you know, like where uh, you can 
you can create your own projections or you can like read what sharp riders are doing and how it is that they are viewing these players. Uh, you know, the road of his riders have like a much, a much uh, more nuanced and uh, like a sharper view on all of these rookies relative to the books. So I do think that there's significant value there in the market. And hopefully we can see pets get more than one touchdown this season. That would definitely increase his uh, fantasy value. Um, I mentioned Carterell Pat- Patterson earlier that he hit last season after going to Atlanta. You usage as a third down back. Is there any way that he replicates anything like he did in 2021 as a zero RB hero? He's currently going in the ninth round as his ADP. And then obviously now he has Tyler Algier to... Uh, you know, deal within the backfield. Is there any way that you're deciding to play that backfield for 2022? Oh man, uh, I would probably, if I had to go any route in this backfield, I would probably think of Algier as a zero RB candidate. Um, you know, he he is intriguing. He's a big guy who does have some receiving capabilities. Uh, the depth chart ahead of him seems rather unsettled as much as I really, uh, in theory, want to like Corderell Patterson and Damian Williams. You know, like uh, if those guys had hit like five years ago, that would have been a dream for me. Uh, like now, the odds of them hitting, it's just, I think it's a little too unlikely. Like Corderell Patterson, I think he will be used in a manner that is kind of similar to how he was used last year. So, you know, I would say, you know, five to 600 yards rushing, five to 600 yards receiving, like both of those like feel kind of possible, uh, except like that's kind of the upper case scenario of, of him hitting 600 on both. But I think it's going to be pretty split usage for him. Uh, and then with Damian Williams coming in. But I mean, both of those guys are old one of them could suffer an injury. One of them could underperform. If I had to go with a running back in the Atlanta backfield, it would probably be Algier. But I'm saying that as someone who like increasingly is becoming uh, very pessimistic about late round players. Like I just, I don't want to be like a stand for a fifth round running back. You know what I mean? Because like the probability is that guy does nothing, but you have to think, you know, in terms of expected value, the odds of him hitting are low, uh, but if he does hit, he could be a league winner um, just because of the guys around him and because you don't have to spend much to get him at all. Well, I hope you're right about his chances there. I already have a lot of him in best ball and then have been loading up in dynasty rookie drafts over the last couple of days. He does seem to have that profile that if it hits, if it translates to the NFL and then within the Falcons scheme could be very exciting. And then obviously the the Patterson discussion reminds us, or reminds me of our famous battles back at the birth of Rodovis. He was one of our, our favorite guys to, to go back and forth on. Yeah. As we were kind of joking in, in texts <laughs> last year, it feels like we were both right, you know. So yeah. he uh he came through, did what did what we thought he could do. He looked so good last season. That was so fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just nine years late, you know uh 2013 really that's when he entered the league it's unreal that it was that long ago and that uh it took him so long to break out and it's also sort of like criminal that it took an offensive coordinator so long to figure out how to use him it's just so strange because he did play with some other talented coaches along the way and they just never made the decision to do what atlanta did last year you mentioned the fifth round running back 
we transition to an early wide receiver. And I think one of the most controversial early wide receivers that we've had maybe in a long time, and maybe not even the most controversial in his own draft since Dotson also controversial. But we have Chris Olave. He goes to the New Orleans. They spent a lot to go get him. We hear all of these sources talking about how he's the most pro-ready wide receiver. And you're like, I mean, is that like being sneaky fast? Is this code for like, he better be good this year because his ceiling is lower than the rest of these guys. I mean, his ceiling is lower. I, I, It's hard to get behind him, I think, when Curtis Patrick, who obviously is a gigantic Ohio State fan and one of the best dynasty players out there, isn't behind him. It's a tricky question, I think, between Olave and Sky Moore in your rookie draft, even though they were selected in the reality draft so far apart. But Matt, take us through what you're looking at here. His line, the questions with the Saints, the new coach, the Camara suspension, potentially Michael Thomas. I'd be interested to hear your, your takes on Thomas as well. How does Olave fit in and where do you like him relative to the line? So with Olave in general, he is really intriguing um, because he's not the early declare, but he did break out, you know, at a relatively young age or, you know, early in college, broke out earlier in college than Garrett Wilson did. He does have the draft capital. Um, He's been productive in college for multiple seasons and the landing spot I'm a little bit ambivalent about it, but you know, like long-term who really knows what's happening with the quarterback situation, but we have seen Jameis Winston previously support multiple wide receivers, Michael Thomas, he's expected to play this year or to, you know, to be ready uh, in time for the season. But you know, we've heard that before. And uh, even if he is back, I don't think he's going to be that kind of target monster that he was previously, especially because they did just invest so much in Chris Olave. It wasn't just getting him, you know, with the number 11 pick, it was trading up for him, trading next year's number one. It was just, it, it's unbelievable what they gave away. They give up a lot. They give up a quarterback kind of haul to get, to get. Yes. It's amazing that they gave away so much and then did not take a quarterback. Um, But, you know, all that said, I'm going over 739 and a half yards receiving for him because, you know, he uh, of the the factors that I mentioned. But then, you know, and whether this is euphemistic for low ceiling, he is, you know, like, quote unquote, uh, NFL ready, you know. So I do think that he's going to come in and get significant number of targets right away. Um, And Michael Thomas, again, I'm just. I'm a little bit skeptical about the usage that he's going to have uh, and then the efficiency he's going to have with that usage. So Olave, I think, actually has maybe a higher ceiling than um, than is kind of appreciated, just in part because there is like the Michael Thomas contingency of Olave might actually be the number one receiver this year. Uh, and like that's not... It's not outrageously likely, but I think the odds of that happening are higher than people are expecting. But I, I think 100 targets is a pretty reasonable floor for Olave. And if Thomas uh, has a setback uh, or is just inefficient, there's 
I think, significant room for more, especially on top of that with the idea that maybe Kamara is suspended for a little bit of the season. Yeah, there could be a lot of extra targets coming his way if, if those two potential things do happen. The teams we are talking about, and around the NFL, there's been more moving parts this offseason, it feels like, than, than any in recent memory. But a lot of change happening in New Orleans with the, the coaches and the quarterback. And the you did touch on Michael Thomas. I'm just going to go back and touch on that again. Is he finished as a wide receiver one? Is there a chance of a bounce back? He's currently going in the, the fourth round in terms of ADP and He's not somebody who, you know, is, is really on my radar at all this year. I think he probably should be going the sixth rounder below based on what we've seen over the last, you know, two years or so. But what what's your thoughts on on Thomas from a bounce back perspective? Yeah, I don't think that Michael Thomas is, you know, like done, done, you know, but I mean, how old is he now? He's he's 29, you know, like the thing is like a 29-year-old receiver should still be good enough, um, especially if he was good before. Like, he should still kind of be, like, if not in the heart of his prime, at least, like, solidly still in his prime. But that's not taking into account, like, the fact that Michael Thomas has played, I think, seven games in the past two years. And that the coach... I mean, the coach has said, like, yeah, we're expecting Michael Thomas to play. But the coach also said he still has a few hurdles to clear, which is like, how? Like, how does he still have hurdles to clear when he hasn't played football in well over a year? So I'm just I'm skeptical about him being, you know, a real number one wide receiver uh, for fantasy. But uh, I mean, he has he has upside. Like, I think that is undeniable based on what we've seen. He has upside. So. I would say, like, I think that wide receiver two, wide receiver three borderline is probably where I'd be comfortable drafting him. That might be a little bit lower than his ADP. That comment with the hurdles to clear is, I mean, you remove him from your board entirely, right? That's like Pete Carroll saying Chris Carson is having great rehab, but we're going to draft Kenneth Walker. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next up is the Washington Commanders. I'm, I'm still getting used to, to saying that. And Jahan Dodson, obviously Dodson going in the first round and um, a lot of question marks, I guess we'll say, around the decision by the commanders to take him there. His under, and this is the first one you've recommended to go under, and that is 709.5 receiving yards on the year. 
I'm not going to go straight into Dotson himself. I'm going to check in on the quarterback situation, and that is how do you feel about the quarterback situation in Washington, and then who beats out Carson Wentz for the starting job? Who <laughs> beats out Wentz? That's great. Uh, I mean, I think Wentz uh, is the starter, but I don't know. Like, I think Sam Howell, for a guy who is a fifth rounder, has uh, an incredibly go. good chance of making <laughs> a start at some point this year. Uh, whether it's Wentz underperforming or Wentz suffering uh, an unfortunate injury, whatever it is, uh, I th- I think Howell will probably make a start at some point. But this oh, man, this Washington team is disgusting. Um, <laughs> like Wentz, he's not he's not like horrible. Like he probably is one of the thirty two best quarterbacks on the planet. So he probably should be starting. But man, like maybe he's number thirty two, and this coaching staff i don't believe has a really strong hold on how to use its players and then they just keep on adding players to kind of muddy the waters here so antonio gibson i would have loved to be on antonio gibson but jd mckissick is still there and then they drafted brian robinson and like terry mclaurin i would love to be on terry mclaurin but they drafted jahan dotson and they drafted diami brown the year before that and curtis samuel is still there like and and Logan Thomas, you know, he's coming back from injury. So it's just like all of these players, I look at them and I just think like, I want to be very hands-off on this situation. Published an article yesterday talking about how I felt like, and and you had all of those fun, like all the kinds of arbitrage articles on Rotoviz back in the beginning. So we're going to go ahead and throw that term out, even though it's not exactly appropriate. Is Dotson sort of an arbitrage play on Olave when we look at rookie drafts? I mean, they're going in very different places because everybody hates Dotson. His size, production, the fourth-year situation, and then Washington, it's, it's like you can you can look at that and say, I, I would prefer fourth and fifth round wide receivers than this guy who was drafted in the top 16. Just how bad is he as a prospect, or is he really not? And then... I'm, you mentioned Terry McLaurin. I don't think Terry McLaurin is draftable. And so obviously somebody who would seem to slot in behind him for targets. I mean, that's also problematic, right? Yeah. Dawson is interesting. I would say that, yeah, if I'm trying to be objective, like looking at sort of the, the median scenario. Yeah. He probably is the arbitrage version of Olave uh, in that, you know, they have, draft capital investment that's not like totally dissimilar i mean they were drafted within the same range of each other uh they were both four-year players um you know kind of similar size similar enough type of athleticism uh yeah i mean number two wide receivers on their team yeah you can see like the arbitrage case like it is it is very present and even if you're looking at just the the prop market uh, you know, Olave, 739 and a half yards, Jahan Dotson, 709 and a half. Like that's, that's very, very comparable in terms of like what the book is projecting. So yeah, you can make the case for them being, uh, arbitrageable. The thing is that I think Olave has a ceiling, uh, and a floor that Dotson does not have. Like I think Dotson has a a significantly lower floor and a significantly lower ceiling. So in the median 
uh, I can see it. But in terms of how I would want to invest in them, I don't really want to touch Dotson. Like that said, like part of arbitrage is that this guy is significantly cheaper than the other guy. So from like a cost, a cost adjusted perspective, yeah, like I can see the case for investing in Dotson. So McLaurin, fifth round ADP, all of these amazing peripherals, you pull up, you know, the air yards leaders over the past several seasons, the guys who have that profile where they're getting not only targets, but targets at depth where if you hit on these targets, obviously the production is going to be there. It's basically superstars, DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin. I think that you can tell yourself maybe a better story about DJ Moore still, even though he's got tons of problems in his situation. But I've gotten to the point where, especially in part because I think that perhaps McLaurin's early efficiency, and we still saw him make some amazing plays last year. So, I mean, it's not like he's not a good player. But I think that when you look at his profile coming in, you look at just how good he was early, that may be anchoring us to a level that isn't quite fair to him, especially now within the context of this offense. Is he someone who's draftable? And then just kind of to throw in, I mean, is there a possibility here that after Washington works out for a handful of times and they see Sam Howell throw to De'Ami Brown the way that he did in college, they're like, okay, the, that combination needs to be what we emphasize this year. Uh, that's That last part is interesting. I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I think that you, you mentioned DJ Moore earlier uh, on that list of, you know, kind of superstars or guys with superstar type of metrics. Um, I would be more optimistic about DJ Moore than, um, than Terry McLaurin. Uh, Moore is younger and Moore at least has like the sort of the unknown box, like the mystery box of Matt Corral as someone who might be throwing to him. Um, you know, how will, as much as I'm kind of intrigued by him, he's a fifth rounder, you know? And so I don't want to be like super into the idea and like Carson Wentz is still going to be the main guy. So I'm, I'm not as optimistic on, um, yeah, on McLaurin relative to DJ Moore. And like you see that reflected in how they, how they're ranked and how they're drafted across the industry. It's been a lot of fun having you on. We are going to have you back on the Thursday episode, but do you want to let the listeners know uh, anything you've got coming out in the next week or so? Yeah, so at Fantasy Pros, we've got the Dynasty Draft Kit, which we've updated after the NFL Draft, and we just released our Best Ball Draft Kit. Uh, and a lot of the content in both of those kits is free, uh, and so be sure to check that out. And then at Betting Pros, uh, I'm doing some research, and I will probably start to put out a series of articles, uh, you know, kind of looking ahead to the NFL season with uh, some thoughts on how I will be betting it. So, uh, yeah, check out all that content. Awesome stuff from Matt there. Once again, check him out on Twitter at Matt F. The Article. He will be joining us for Thursday's show. We'll have lots more fun rookie conversation. Really enjoyed today's shows as we got to talk about the landing spots of some of the players and how it affects the whole roster, I guess, or the whole skill positions for 2022. I know so many of us are out there drafting in rookie drafts right now. Column, I, I'm sure I'm on the clock in all the leagues. It seems like that is what's been happening almost exclusively the last 72 hours. Drafting leagues with Monty Fawn, Blair Andrews, Ben Gretsch. We'll talk a little bit about those on Stealing Bananas, so make sure you jump over there and catch up with us. But 
column these leagues over there at the FFPC, the Rotoviz Triflex format. I, I just, it's hard to express how much fun it has been. And so we'd love to have some listeners join us over there. They have new startups going off all the time. These drafts that we're talking about are entering year two. Listeners will be glad to know that we're doing the hardcore zero RB. And in most of these formats or most of these leagues, I actually think I have more tight ends than running backs on the vast majority of the teams. And obviously like a, a four or five to one ratio of wide receivers to running backs. So if you want to get in there and draft those wide receivers, the Rotoviz Triflex League will work for you. Also have cool best ball content coming out on the site, both for the big FFPC tournament that Zachary and I are drafting a team in right now. And for the underdog tournament, our good friend Connor O'Driscoll has been drafting this team with me. And I won't do spoilers, Colin, because we're going to have some content on this later. But the combination of drafting with Connor, using the new Rotoviz underdog tools, two different tools. And anytime that I haven't been on the clock sending draft offers in the last 72 hours, I've been just immersed in our underdog tools. It's really been one of the two things. So I know that you'll want to get in there. You can use the coupon code ROTOVIZ. When you sign up at Underdog, you get a 100% bonus match up to $100 on your initial deposit. And call this is a great time to mention that you can get 10% off ROTOVIZ by using the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. If you're going to play Underdog, you want to use the tools because you will win a lot more money. That subscription to the website will be nothing compared to the money you rake in at the end of the year. And or just if you like cool information and like to mess around with tactics, strategy, numbers. I mean, really, even if you weren't going to play Underdog, it's a lot of fun to get in there and play around with the tools. So I encourage that. Obviously, we're biased, but Colin, I've been really impressed with what Anthony Shook and the game have put together for this contest. And Michael Doomner, Blair Andrews, Connor, they're putting out some crazy articles. You read through them and you're like, I got to get in there. There there are opportunities to win this. And I mean, you're probably not going to win the $2 million grand prize because there are a lot of entrants and only one person does, but somebody has to, right? And $2 million will, will go a long way. (laughs) <laughs> certainly will you mentioned a lot of good stuff there and you mentioned michael dubner uh i'm actually messaging him behind the scenes we're hoping to have him on to talk he's done some great work with uh, an excel tool that he has set up for tracking your best ball exposures and your roster management so we're hoping to get him for one of the best ball shows coming up for the the best ball podcast feed myself and zach are talking we're recording two shows on thursday that'll start to come out from next week so there's just a, a lot of good content's going to be coming your way so uh, i would also say thank you very much to all the listeners who have sent in questions for both this show and stealing bananas over the last week or two we will be getting to them as we move forward here after kind of the draft season has dusted itself down here we can dive into those but keep sending them in we'll add those to um, you know the listener will be getting through those topics over the coming weeks so thanks again it's great interacting with people listening into the show and getting their feedback on things that we can do moving forward for anyone who has listened all the way towards the end of the show here today i'm going to give you a sneak peek to a contest we're running sean mentioned underdog and the ffpc we're going to give away a 50 dollar credit for either the ffpc or underdog whichever you prefer to play on all you have to do is retweet the pin tweet on my timeline on Twitter, which is also 
And that link is also in the show notes today. And also subscribe to the Rotoviz YouTube channel. Do that and you'll be entered into a contest. We are heading towards 850 subscriptions over there. When it gets to 900, we'll be giving away that $50 voucher for you to use on whichever platform you prefer. So don't miss out on that. It's absolutely free to enter and it'll help us as we continue to grow the Rotoviz brand on both audio and video format. Thank you again to everyone who has tuned in today. We will be back on Thursday with another podcast. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on rotaviz.com. And until we're back on Thursday, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.